Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you, this, this is our message, not another joke. So how many of you are, uh, you're ready and excited about a grammar lesson this morning? Less excitement than I thought, or maybe about the amount of excitement that I thought. For my, uh, for my grammar Nazis out there, my grammar fans out there, how many types of verbs are there in the English language? I don't know. Some people are thinking, some of you are like, I, I didn't pass grammar. Any, any guesses there? If you put that into Google, how many verbs are there? How many types of verbs are there? You might come up with the number three, and they'll say that there are action verbs, linking verbs, and helping verbs. Or right underneath it, you might find the answer of four. Intransitive verbs, I don't remember learning that. Transitive verbs, linking, and passive. Or you might find the answer of seven. Regular, irregular, linking, transitive, intransitive, finite, and infinite. Is any of this ringing a bell for anybody from, from school? And uh, any grammar fans out there, English fans, you enjoy that, English majors? And uh, basically, if you put into, the, into Google how many different types of verbs are there, what you'll find is a reminder of how frustrating the English language can be. Nobody can agree on that, and you'll be glad that you don't have to study all that madness anymore, unless you're still in high school or college. But this morning... I want us to look in Acts 17, I want us to look at the action verbs of Athens. The action verbs of Athens. Paul, and, and by way of review and not very much review today, if you've missed any of our, our messages in the series, you can jump on our podcast or on our website, go to our archive and our Facebook page, any of those different um, places and, and find that. So I won't take a ton of time, but just a brief introduction about where we're at, where we find ourselves in the text here. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's taken the gospel into Europe for the first time. He's gone to Philippi and then Thessalonica, and now he's made his way, Berea, and he's made his way into Athens. And so Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's all by himself right now. His ministry partners have not joined him there in Athens yet. And he's all by himself in Athens. And uh, he has taken the gospel. There have been the first converts in, in Thessalonica there, in Philippi, Lydia, uh, Thyatira got, got saved, and others. And Paul is in Athens, which at the time was one of, if not the educational and cultural center in Greece. And uh, this is a place, Athens was and still is, a place of rich history and culture. And uh, uh, Hippocrates, that where we get uh, the, the father of Western medicine, where we get the Hippocratic oath that our doctors take today, uh, was a 5th century Athenian. He was from this place. And Socrates, the father, father of Western philosophy, hailed from Athens, uh, home to the Parthenon and Acropolis. This was a very, uh, very... Uh, his, his historically rich and important city that Paul finds himself in. And we looked last week at his message there to the Athenians there on Mars Hill. But in this city, Paul is met uh, by a variety of people with different philosophies, different religions, different worldviews. And again, last week we looked at his famous sermon on Mars Hill where God used him. I preached last week on answering the hard questions of life. And we saw Paul answer the hard questions. <clears throat> Where did we come from? Why are we here? 
Where are we going? Those, those core questions, by the way, the answer to all of those is Jesus. And we saw that in our message last week. But, but that's where we find ourselves. And this morning with the action verbs of Athens, we've been in this chapter. I think this is our fourth Sunday, so I don't need to take a ton of time in, in contextual review. But this morning, I want us to see how God used Paul in some amazing ways. The truth of the matter is that, that all of us want our lives to count for something beyond ourselves, don't we? There's a longing that God puts inside of every one of us. We want our lives to matter beyond just ourselves. Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes, a life lived for self is empty. A life lived just for personal gain and personal pleasure brings no fulfillment, no satisfaction. I see Rebecca Lee home from college and Susanna Smith home from college. And if I've missed anybody else while I'm preaching, I'm seeing folks, welcome back. We've missed you guys. And uh, so glad you're back to sweet Christian young ladies and wonderful families in our church. Um, but, but all of us are striving for significance, for impact, in some way to leave a positive legacy behind us. By the way, that's not just believers. Unbelievers alike, God puts that in us. We want our lives to count for something. And we try all kinds of different things to make our lives seem or feel significant. Often we look into the wrong places and we look into finances and we look into careers and we look into accomplishment. And God can use those things for his glory, but often we use them for our glory. And, and I want us to see uh, some of the things that led to the significance, the impact, the legacy that Paul's life left behind. I'm going to give you three thesis statements for our message this morning, and we're going to pull these out from the passage, and I hope they'll be a challenge to each one of us. Here are the thesis statements for our message this morning. Number one, I suggest to you, we don't make the impact that Paul made because we don't speak like Paul. I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute from this passage. And again, we, none of us would argue that God used Paul to make an amazing impact eternally with his life. And I would suggest we don't make the impact Paul made because we don't speak like Paul. Secondly, we don't speak like Paul because we don't feel like Paul. And thirdly, we don't feel like Paul because we don't see like Paul. And I'm going to pull out some action verbs from this passage that I believe give us some insight into why God used Paul in such a mighty way. I want you to see what I mean by these statements in this thesis, these thesis statements of the message. Number one, I want you to see what Paul saw. Look at verse number 16. If you will, Acts in chapter number 17, would you, uh, would you read verse number 16 aloud with me? Acts chapter 17, let's read verse number 16 aloud. And, and there should be a, a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you don't have one, I always encourage those that are listening to keep their Bibles open and to follow along as we pull thoughts from Scripture. That's the only place that power in any preaching is ever found is in the Word of God. Acts 17, Verse number 16, let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. What Paul saw. For those that are bad with grammar, you're not sure what an action verb is, we put it really big. That's the, the big word there. That's his action verb, the first one. What Paul saw. You know, I just mentioned Athens and the amazing architecture, the amazing history. The beautiful, the, the beautiful carvings and statues of the city. And you know what Paul saw? Paul, was, it wasn't the history. It wasn't the architecture. It wasn't the beauty of Athens that first struck Paul. What first struck him most, do you see it there, was the idolatry that was rampant in Athens. 
He saw the city wholly or fully given to idolatry. He looked, Paul looked at this city, and I would suggest to you as you read the writings of Paul and read of the journeys of Paul, saw, Paul saw this city and every city from a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective. And I believe that this is a secret to why we so often fail to make an eternal impact with our lives, why our lives so often fail to count for something beyond ourselves, because so often we fail to see things in light of eternity. We look at so much the temporal, the earthly, not the eternal and spiritual. And Paul, when he walked in, it wasn't about the marketplace and it wasn't about the statues, and it wasn't about the Acropolis, and it wasn't about the Parthenon, and it wasn't about the, the streets that, that were there in this great city. It wasn't about, the at that time, uh, the, the world's most famous or, or uh, well-known university that was there. It wasn't about any of those things. For Paul, it was, here are people that are lost without Jesus Christ, and they're empty, and they're following idols. They're living for idols. Paul saw things through his Christian perspective. We struggle often in our lives for our lives to count for something beyond ourselves because our focus is so little on the eternal. I read this paragraph this week. We as Christians enjoy many of the same things those who don't know Jesus enjoy, but we look at them through a different set of lenses. We see the arts differently. We listen to music differently. We think about sports differently. We view business differently. We view ethnicity differently. We view the poor, the orphan, and the widow differently. We view the ocean differently. We hear the birds differently. We view money differently. We view marriage differently. We view food and drink differently. We see the world differently because we filter, or we should filter, everything we encounter through the right perspective of God's self-revelation in creation, in Scripture, and ultimately in His Son. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Often we're driving down the road or we're at our house and, and in our house, right behind our house, we see sometimes beautiful suns, sunrises behind our home and at night we can see in front of our home sometimes beautiful clouds there in our home in Lake Forest. And often, just this week, we were out playing catch out in the front and it was, I don't know if it was Titus or TJ or Trey, whoever it was, and I said, look at that sunset. And often I'll try to say something like, man, God is an amazing artist. And that which we look at and it's beautiful, it should lead us to think of the eternal. It is God that did this. We should look at, I coach high school basketball. Why do I do that? Because my goal is to, to see some young men go on and fulfill their dreams of playing college basketball or professional basketball. If that's what God has for them, great. To this point, I haven't had that many great athletes come through my programs yet. I haven't had too many six, eight, six, nine, seven foot guys that have an NBA future ahead of them. But, but and, and I, by the way, I, I wasn't one of those either. But the reality is that's not my priority of why I coach high school basketball. Why do I coach high school basketball? I coach high school basketball because I want to invest in and influence those young men in their personal journey, their spiritual journey. We should view everything we do through an eternal lens. Why did Paul make such an impact? What he saw. 
He saw things differently than others. And if we're not careful, we'll look at our jobs as a way to make our lives more comfortable or to make us more money or to set up our kids and grandkids rather than seeing our career as a vehicle to expand the kingdom of God. And God, you bless me with this job. How can I help others? You bless me with these finances. How can I use that for your glory? We look at our dating relationships or our marriage relationships as something to make us feel good or to make us happy rather than seeing those relationships as something that God wants to be used to glorify him and to serve others, not to serve ourselves and please ourselves. You know, the most empty marriage is a marriage where both people are viewing that marriage as, how can I be made happy? How can I get fulfillment out of this relationship? What can you do to serve me? No, what can I do to serve you? And what can we do together as a a union to serve others? When we view these things, we look at our children as maybe tools to make us proud or to make us look good, to do something that we can brag to our friends about, rather than viewing them as eternal souls that God wants to use to impact eternity. If we're not careful the way the world is, we look at people for what they can do for us, rather than how we can share the love of Christ with them. And what we see with Paul here in Acts 17 is one of the things that a Christian worldview consistently reveals is that the world is filled with idols. One of the things that a Christian worldview consistently reveals is that the world is filled with idols. Oh, you say, I don't see too many idols when I walk around Orange County. I don't see back in Santa Clara where where we served and I was born and raised in San Jose there, San Jose, Santa Clara area. There's one church there that has this, I'm guessing, 50, 60 foot um, statue of Mary outside of a Catholic church right along the highway. You see, I don't don't see big statues like that. that, And people would go and and worship that statue and they would go and write down prayers and and, and shove it between the steel holes in that statue, hoping that maybe this metal statue that was made with man's hands would answer their prayers for them. And and you say, I don't see that in Orange County. big statues. I don't see a bunch of that where I go. Oh, idols are not just things that that we, statues that we grave with our hands. An idol is anything to which we turn when we need something only Jesus can provide. I want you to think about that statement and then take inventory. What is an idol in my life? An idol is is anything to which we turn when we need something that only Jesus can provide. See, I, don't, I don't worship Muhammad. I don't worship Buddha. I don't worship Mary. I don't, I don't worship Confucius. I don't, I don't have any statues. I don't light incense to any, any, any other gods. I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not an idol worshiper. An idol is anything to which we turn when we need something only Jesus can provide. It can be a person. There can be a person that's an idol in our life. They've taken a place above Jesus. It can be a thing. It can be a place. It can be an experience, a substance, a feeling, a habit, an addiction. It can be a sport. It can be a job. It can be a relationship. It can be a friendship. Anything in our lives that takes the place that Jesus deserves, which is preeminent and priority, and all of a sudden our lives, we're looking to this sport, to this pleasure, to this hobby, to this relationship, to this group, to this whatever, this, this money, this vacation, whatever it might be, if it's drawing us from Christ, it can, it's an idol in our lives. And when we see things eternally, God opens our eyes. Hey, Ryan, you've let that phone become an idol. You've let that entertainment. You've let that, that, that 
passion, that, that self-righteous or self-centered, selfish ambition. Boy, and by the way, this can happen to pastors. It, we're not immune to this. This can happen personally. This can happen spiritually. That my church becomes an idol. Look at what I can do and look at what I have built and look at, and I've got to go to that next level so everybody can see what a great pastor that I am. And if we're not careful, it doesn't, it can be, we can wrap our idols up in all kinds of spiritual things. But if we're looking to that to give us what only Jesus can provide, we have allowed an idol to raise up in our lives. May I ask you this morning, church family, what idols have you allowed to slip into your life? Paul here, why, why did he make such an impact everywhere that he went? Well, what struck him? He saw the city wholly given to idolatry. You've heard it said before. Well, that Christian, that person is so heavenly minded that they're no what? They're no earthly good. We've heard that statement. I'll be honest. In my 32 years of being a Christian, I don't know that I've met too many that that statement would ring true, that they were too heavenly minded, that they were of no earthly good. You know what I think is usually more true in my life and maybe in yours if you're anything like your pastor? I'm so earthly-minded that I'm no heavenly good. I'm focused so much on what's down here that I'm not focused on what he has for me eternally, what, what his eternal purposes are in my lives. We, we, we don't, why, why don't we make the impact that Paul makes? We don't see the way Paul saw. Lamentation says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. What we see and the way that we see things changes how we live. Matthew 9 says of Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because there was sheep that were scattered abroad, sheep having no shepherds scattered abroad. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. When Jesus saw a group of people, what did he see? Oh, there's a group that could come make my life easy. There's a group that can worship me. There's a group that can be impressed by my miracles. That's not what he saw. When he saw a group of people, you know what he saw? He saw people that were shattered, scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. There's hurting people there. They're lost. They're looking for their way, and they have no one to guide them. When Jesus saw a group of people, and he was moved, it changed how he behaved. He was moved with compassion because of what he saw. Paul was stirred because of what he saw in your life and mine. Why does it seem so often that our lives are empty because we don't see the way that Paul saw. We don't see the way that Jesus saw. May I ask you this morning, church, have you looked at your co-workers in a way that moves you with compassion that they may be lost and on their way to a Christless eternity? When was the last time that you or I looked at our neighbors or your barista or your barber or your doctor, not as someone who provides a service for you, but as someone who, for whom Christ died and you or I might be the only person in their lives that may ever tell them about him? When we start to see the world through the eyes that Paul saw the world, when we start to see the world through the eyes that Jesus saw the world, you know what happens? Our priorities change. Our behaviors change. Our focus changes. Our budget changes. Our schedule changes. The things we give our lives to change. Why? Because when we start to see with eternal eyes, it changes everything. When, the, when a person becomes a Christian, the way that person sees everything should change. Paul made an eternal impact because of what he saw. Secondly, the second action verb of Athens, I suggest to you, not only what Paul, Paul saw, but what Paul felt. What Paul felt. We already read it there in verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was, do you see it there, church? His spirit was stirred in him. 
What he, and why was it stirred? When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. What he saw affected how he felt. How did he feel? He was deeply affected by the state of the city. You know what's true? Probably it's a, it's a tendency in all of our lives. It's so easy to become callous, cynical, and complacent. Well, this is just, ah, the Democrats, ah, the Republicans, ah, America, ah, this, ah, that. And we just become callous. Well, nobody wants, nobody wants to hear about Jesus anymore. 2020, nobody cares about that. Oh, we've lost it. This next generation, all millennials, all oh, whatever the new generation's called, all oh, Gen X, all oh, Gen Z, all oh, Gen Y. This has been going on for generations. Ah, oh, We become callous, we become cynical, and we become complacent. Why? Because we don't feel what Paul felt. What he saw changed how he felt. He was deeply affected by the state of that city. I would suggest to you that those three words are mortal enemies of the compassionate Christian. Callousness, cynicism, and complacency. Callousness, cynicism, and complacency are mortal enemies of the compassionate Christian. The more callous you become, the more cynical you become, the more complacent you become, the less compassionate you'll be. The less you'll care. Well, I don't care. Whole world's going to hell anyways. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. I'm just going to live my life for me. By the way, the city of Athens that Paul went into would have been a much less Christian city than America is today. Much less. Like, no Christianity. Like, no churches. Like, they had never heard. They said, who is this babbler? What is he talking about? They didn't know what he was talking about. You and I live in a much more Christian culture, and yet we don't have. We, we still think, ah, oh, it's too far gone. Paul didn't think that when he went there. Paul, Paul, Paul thought Paul was deeply stirred. And I, I ask again this morning, when was the last time that you or I were truly stirred in our lives? When was the last time that we saw something that caused us to pray more, to serve more, to give more, to love more, to witness more? That word stirred carries the idea of being deeply distressed. Paul experienced a mixture. You can study it. It's the same word in the Old Testament where it talks about the fact that in their wickedness, they provoked God. It's that idea of deeply distressed. And, and Paul experienced, I believe, as you study that word out, a mixture of righteous indignation for the name of God. He was deeply distressed because the name of God had been torn down and idols were lifted up. It was a mixture of righteous indignation and, and also brokenhearted compassion for the people who worshiped false gods. Indignation for the name of God, righteous indignation, brokenhearted compassion for the people who didn't worship the name of God. He was motivated by love for God and neighbor. Does that sound familiar? Two commands, love God, love your neighbors. Paul said, I love God so much I can't, I can't stand to see his name brought down. And I love people so much I can't stand to see people that are lost in darkness spiritually. I've got to do whatever I can to help them. Look, look at verse number 17, what it says. Therefore, because of, because of what he saw and because of what he felt, what did he do? He went on a rampage and, and told them all how terrible they were. What did he do? Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And it continues on and it says, uh, maybe I'm missing it in here somewhere. It talks about uh, dialogue, the idea of he, he went back and forth with them. He reasoned with them. He disputed with them. He went back and forth with them in the market daily with them that met with him. He answered questions. 
Sinful anger to the wicked culture was not his response. Holy love was. He engaged, he listened, he heard, he talked, he debated with them. I saw a quote this week that I liked. It said, if your life doesn't reflect both sweetness and thunder, you will either be a coward or obnoxious when it comes to sharing your faith. We'll either be cowards not telling anybody or we'll be obnoxious just pushing everybody away from Christ. No, what do we need? We need a righteous, a holy, a holy love and, 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 and compassion with a righteous indignation that God's name is torn down. As believers, we need both gentleness and boldness. But most of all, we need to be moved by what we see. Not moved to anger, not moved to despair, moved to action. I want you to see it. Number three, the third action verb. Why did Paul make such a difference? Notice where Paul went. Where Paul went. There's three spots here. I want you to see it in verses 17 to 19. Therefore disputed he in the, where's the first place he went, church? Therefore disputed he in the what? Synagogue with the Jews and, and with the devout persons. And in the what, church? In the market. How often? Daily with them that met with him. Then he comes across some philosophers. Look at verse number 19. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus. What Paul saw affected what Paul felt, which affected where Paul went. Where did Paul go? Paul went to the synagogue of the Jews. He went to the religious. Do you know that the religious people need Jesus? You can die and go to hell straight from a church pew. Attending church is not going to take you to heaven. Giving money to a church is not going to take you to heaven. Getting baptized up there is not going to take you to heaven. Uh, reading the Bible every day is not going to take you to heaven. Uh, doing your best to let your good outweigh your bad is not. You might say, well, I'm a good man. I'm a good lady. I'm a moral person. I, I try to do my best. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I hope we all do all of that. But religious people, they were religious. They were devout Jews, but they were lost and on their way to a devil's hell. Why? Because they did not know Jesus. They had never heard the good news that Christ came to earth. He died for us. He was buried and he rose again. We celebrate at Christmas his incarnation, but it's not just about his birth. It's about his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And if you do not know Jesus, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care if your mom was a, uh, uh, your dad was a pastor. I guess if your mom was a pastor, that happens in some churches, not ours, but I don't care if your grandpa was a pastor. I don't care if you come from a long line of people that planted churches or a missionary. It is not about your parents' faith. Your parents' faith doesn't dictate your future in, in heaven. And by the way, your parents' mess-ups don't dictate your future anywhere else either. It's a personal decision. Where did he go? He went to the synagogue. He took the gospel to the religious. Where else did he go? You see it there in verse 17? He went to the market daily. He took the gospel to the religious, to what we might call church, to the synagogue, but he also took the gospel in their daily lives. He didn't wait just for Sunday. And here he dialogued in the market. John Stott said that Paul seems deliberately to have adopted the famous Socratic method of dialogue in, in, involving questions and answers, a place that was known for their philosophy and discussion. And Stott says he was, in fact, a kind of Christian Socrates although with a better gospel than Socrates ever knew. There in Athens, the home of Socrates, is a man daily philosophizing, if you will, hearing questions and answering them with the truths of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. A Christian Socrates with a better gospel than Socrates ever knew. And, and for us, it's a good reminder, church, 
Our faith is, should not just be something that we wrap up all week long and pull it out for an hour on Sunday. He was daily. What he saw affected how he felt. How he felt affected where he went. He went to where they were every day. It was a part of his life. It wasn't, oh, on Sunday I praise God. Monday through Friday I put him in the back seat. I put him in the closet. I bring him back out. On Sunday, let's sing again. I write my check, feel good about it. I did my thing. I came to church and let me go live my life the next six days. No, why don't our lives make any kind of an impact? Because we don't go to the places Paul went. We don't bring Jesus with us to church sometimes if we're not careful. We don't bring Jesus with us to the marketplace. It's not a part of our daily lives. Third, where did he go? The Areopagus. That was I showed you last week there on that mountain that looking right there to the Parthenon, the Acropolis. And this was a place of secular thought. It was a place where, where, where he would have been very deeply challenged. And may I just say, every area of our culture needs to be influenced. The universities need people in there that have a heart to share the love of Christ in those. The hospitals need, everywhere we go, even if they are secular institutions, they need Christians to be salt and light. And Paul went to all of these places. Our Christianity should be a public faith, a part of our lives everywhere that we go. Paul's service and his testimony wasn't something that was hidden away all week that he pulled out on Sunday. And it shouldn't be for us either. Our neighbors should know they're believers. There's something different. Our coworkers should know. I understand you have to be wise sometimes in how you have those conversations, but they should know. Those that follow us on social media should know. Our relatives should know. Paul took it everywhere. And then lastly, we see here what Paul said. Look at verse number 22. Verse 22, we studied this whole passage last Sunday. Look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and, what's that word there, church? And said. We, we studied this 13 or 14 verse message last week. So I don't need to take a long time breaking it down because we broke it all down last week. But here's what I would say. What did Paul, what he saw affected what he felt. What he felt affected where he went. And when he went there, what did he do? He said some things. What did Paul say? Basically, what did I tell you last week? Jesus is the answer. That's what Paul's life was all about. I'm going to tell everybody I can, everywhere I can, Jesus is the answer. You're an elementary school teacher. You know what you need to do? Give your life to telling those kids every, every opportunity you can by the way you live and the words you speak as you're able to. Jesus is the answer. You have, you have a hurting relative that's, that's struggling and searching. Do everything you can in every way that you can to tell them Jesus is the answer. You go to Starbucks, start up a conversation, be kind and build a relationship and do what you can to tell them Jesus is the answer. Somebody asks you how you're doing, say far better than I deserve. I, I don't deserve all of God's love, but I'm living in it. And you don't have to be a, every time you talk to somebody as some crazy, spooky, religious thing, but just Jesus coming through in our daily conversations in our relationships, our social media posts, those we're talking to, the mechanic, when we drop off to get the tires changed. Isn't that Paul? Do you think Paul would have taken his car to get his tires changed without somehow talking to that person about something eternal? And may I just be honest with you right now and transparent with you, as the pastor who gets paid to be a pastor full-time, do spiritual work full-time, may I be honest with you? There are probably way more times that I don't speak of eternal things than times that I do. This message isn't for you. This message is for us. You know why I'm not making all of the impact that maybe God would like for me to with my life? I get my focus too much on the earthly and not enough on the eternal. 
too much on that, the temporal, that which isn't going to last, and not on that which is going to last forever. I don't see people often as souls that Christ died for. I see them as somebody that can help me with something, serve me, fix this for my family. Maybe God brought that repairment to my house so that I could, in some small way, share the love of Christ. I had a pastor friend of mine, and I've not, I've not done it. I, I need to build it into a habit. It was very simple what he did. I was with him in Pennsylvania preaching at his church, and we went out to eat. We were getting a, there was, it was restaurant week. Some of you know about restaurant week where you can get good, good meals, like a three-course meal for 30 bucks at a really nice restaurant or something. We went to Morton's Steakhouse, get a good steak. And we were sitting there, and the, the waiter walked up and, and took our drink orders, and, uh, or waitress, I can't remember. We went to a couple of meals while I was there, and he did it every time. And they came to the table and, and took our drink orders. And, and then he said to them, every time he said this to the waiter, he said, you know what? We're Christians and we're going to get ready just to say a word of prayer for our food before it comes. What can we pray for you about? You know that, such a simple thing. And you know, every time I was with him, every time. it was a. Now I'm not saying every time it's ever happened, he's never had somebody kind of give him a cold shoulder. But every time I was with him, it was an unbelievably positive response that opened up amazing conversations. One of them, and this has been a couple of years, I still remember it. One of them said, I'm a Christian too. Would you pray right now? My mom is struggling with cancer. The other one said, you know, you can just pray and something about they were struggling in their life. And, and, and he said, oh, do, do you, do you, are, do you, are you a believer? Do you go to church? Kind of started talking. No, I really don't. I've been thinking about it. I need to get to church. And it opened up an opportunity to talk to them about that. And then he said, we're going to pray for that need when we bow our heads to pray right now. We're going to pray for you. It changed everything about that whole experience of them coming to, the, to our table the rest of the time. I'm not saying you need to go and you walk into to Target and you stand at the front while you're getting your things checked out. Jesus is Lord, repent or burn in hell. I'm not saying, you know, that's one way to get the word out. You'll go viral. You'll be on everybody's social media feeds. I don't know that that's the wisest way to do that. Now, if God leads you to be bold in that way, do what God leads you to do. I'm not saying that's what we all have to do every time we come in contact with a stranger. We're getting our gas up. And you, you know, if you, if you don't accept Jesus in your heart, you're going to die and burn in hell. Like, yeah, that's, we have to have some tact and some wisdom. But I would say in an effort to not be offensive, probably too much of us, too many of us, are not having any of those conversations. We're not talking to anybody about eternal things, myself included. Now, I talk to people about eternal things every week of my life, but I let far too many opportunities pass by, far too many. And you know what Paul did? He, everything he said was, Jesus is the answer. You can read his message later, but he said, Jesus is your creator. Jesus, God is your sovereign. He's your savior. He wants you to know him. His message was, he is judge. He is Messiah. He, he created you. He made you. He has the answers for you. You can read the message later, but that's what he said. And I don't know about you, but I would love to see God use me in just a fraction of the manner that he used Paul to make an eternal impact with my life. Do you, like I do maybe sometimes, ever wonder why it may be that we can spend day after day, week after week, month after month, sometimes year after year, maybe even decade after decade, feeling empty, feeling as if our life has no significance, no lasting value. I tried that hobby. It was fun for a while. I tried that pleasure. Fun for a while. I tried that a, a substance. Brought me a little peace for a while, but then I had to get something stronger and stronger and stronger, and now I'm in bondage. I tried that relationship, and it was really exciting at first. Kind of died off. You ever wonder why we, we don't find that lasting 
fulfillment and significance, I believe that much of the answer can be found in the action verbs of Athens. What Paul talked to me, what's the first one? What Paul what church? Saw. What Paul saw. How are you looking at that which is around you? Are you seeking to look through eternal eyes or is everything about here and now? What Paul felt. Does what you see break your heart and move you to action? Where Paul went. Well, I'm going to sit at home and complain about this idolatrous city. Tell everybody, don't go to Athens. I'm moving out of Athens. Bunch of liberals. I don't see Paul saying that. Now he got kicked out of Athens. Again, we got to be careful with our, our spirits, Christians. That wasn't Paul's spirit. Well, taxes are too high here in Athens. I got to find somewhere else. I'm going to Idaho, Athens, whatever it was called there, wherever the other place was that everybody was moving to and taking all the bad ideas with them. No, what did, what did, what did Paul, where did he go? He didn't sit at home complaining. He went where the people were and sought to make a difference. And what did Paul say? It's all about Jesus. Church family, a simple message this morning. But I think all of us need to start looking at everything in our lives and our plans from an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. A spiritual perspective, not a selfish perspective. A life lived to please self will be filled with pain and regret. A life lived to please the Savior will be filled with joy and fulfillment. Can I say that last statement one more time and we're done? A life lived to please self will be filled with pain and regret and emptiness. A life lived to please the Savior will be filled with fulfillment and joy and significance. In your lives and in mine, the action verbs, little grammar lesson, not really. I didn't tell you much about grammar other than it's sometimes confusing. Little grammar lesson, the action verbs of Athens. What are we seeing? How's it making us feel? Where's it making us go? And what's it making us say? Paul, everywhere he went, this was the pattern. He saw people in need of a savior. It stirred him up to do something about it. He went where they were and he preached Jesus. Let's follow that pattern this week. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.